Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. It's the soundtrack to life in Gaza these days. A never-ending stream of Israeli missiles and artillery as the Jewish state continues to target Hamas hideouts in the Palestinian territory. Civil order is breaking down in Gaza as the war between Israel and Hamas enters its fourth week. Reporter Deborah Pata gets us started from Jerusalem. As Israel pounds Gaza, Palestinians trapped have nowhere safe to hide. They are running out of everything. Correspondent Richard Engel is in southern Israel, where troops continue to conduct limited incursion operations into Gaza. Israeli officials have described this operation as payback after Hamas butchered more than 1,400 Israelis and took, by the latest count, 239 hostages. The death toll approaching 10,000 as the second phase of this war, the ground game, gets underway. Reporter Trey Yinkst has the latest on the street fighting in Gaza. There was a gun battle yesterday. The Al-Qassam brigades from Hamas engaging Israeli forces. The Israelis say they killed dozens of militants who barricaded themselves in buildings and in tunnels. Aaron Cohen is a former special ops soldier with the IDF. This is a counterterrorism focus operation. So I think what we're going to see here is an extended operation over months, six months, up to a year. Uh, I think the house-to-house incursions are going to be sporadic. Vice President Kamala Harris says U.S. soldiers will not be part of any military operation in the Holy Land. We have absolutely no intention, nor do we have any plans to send combat troops into Israel or Gaza. Period. President Biden and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu spoke by phone yesterday on how to free the hostages while ensuring that emergency aid continues to get into Gaza. Correspondent Ian Lee. White House officials have warned that a ceasefire would benefit Hamas, though the administration is pushing Israel to balance its fight against the militant group with the safety of civilians. This protester took part in a massive anti-Israel rally in New York City yesterday. Palestinians are being ethnically cleansed by the day. We're seeing it. 1.4 million are without homes. No food, no access to water. This is a man-made humanitarian crisis, and I fear that it will only get worse. The U.N. Security Council meeting today in New York to discuss more the war. Former Ambassador Danny Dannon says the U.N. is anti-Israel. They couldn't even condemn Hamas, so we have no expectation from the U.N., and I will tell you something more. Even if they will pass resolutions against Israel, we will continue. Last night, Muslim protesters tried to storm a plane from Israel that was landing at an airport in Russia. That airport had to be locked down as anti-Israeli rioters rushed the terminals and the runways looking for Jewish passengers. Demonstrators in Dagestan flooded the airport while chanting anti-Semitic slurs. Breaking news from Detroit today. Auto workers have reached a deal with all three of Detroit's 
big three. The latest holdout, General Motors, gave in to the workers' demands this morning. What we have accomplished together has turned this wheel around. When I see that wheel, I no longer see a union on defense, in decline, or under threat. When I see that wheel, I see power. UAW President Sean Fain, now if approved by the rank and file, this will effectively end the seven-week-old job action by the United Auto Workers Union. There's pain in the state of Maine as grieving families prepare to bury loved ones following last week's mass shooting at a bowling alley and a bar. Last night, more than a thousand people gathered at a memorial service in Lewiston. A moving vigil at a local church in Lewiston, Maine, for the 18 victims killed in the worst mass shooting in the state's history. I felt the need to be here. The crowd growing so large Sunday night, hundreds stood outside to listen to the service. We can never allow Lewiston to be remembered for violence. This city instead will be known for its strength. We're also learning new details about the gunman's mental health. Law enforcement officials telling the Associated Press they issued a statewide alert last month to be on the lookout for Robert Card after he made threats to shoot up an Army Reserve base and were unable to locate him after visiting his home and boosting patrols for about two weeks. Kathy Park reporting the gunman's body was found in the back of a tractor trailer at a recycling plant in Maine over the weekend. He had killed himself. Turning to politics and the Republican race for president, major headline over the weekend, former Vice President Mike Pence is out, and a new poll from Iowa shows where the other candidates stand with just 76 days to go before the first in the nation Iowa caucuses. Donald Trump continuing to lead overwhelmingly here. We ask folks, is your mind made up? Are you definitely for the candidate, nearly two-thirds of Trump voters say, that's it, I'm settled. Nobody else has a depth of support that matches that. So it's not just that he's that far ahead, a lot of that support looks like it's locked in. Political pundit Steve Kornacki says the Des Moines Register poll shows some movement in the fight for second place. Nikki Haley starting to take over Ron DeSantis for that spot. She's gained 10 points in Iowa in our poll since August. Here's the group, I think, that power for more than anything else, it's independence. Now, if Haley wants to move up further in Iowa and elsewhere, she's going to have to get more core Republicans, and she's going to have to find a way to eat into that Trump support. The next Republican presidential debate will be hosted by NBC News in Miami on Wednesday, November 8th. Friends fans are mourning the death of Matthew Perry. We're still in disbelief. Really sudden, and a lot of people are feeling it right now. The 54-year-old actor played the beloved role of Chandler on the hit 1990s TV show. People Magazine's Wendy Noggle. He was the friend who always wrapped you in his arms, was willing to help you no matter what you needed to do, and the outpouring of support that we've seen just echoes all of that. The friend's star found dead in his hot tub in L.A. on Saturday. Shortly before his passing, Perry went public about his recovery from years of substance abuse problems. The best thing about me, bar none, is if somebody comes up to me and says, I can't stop drinking, can you help me? I can say yes and follow up and do it. When I die, 
I don't want friends to be the first thing that's mentioned. I want that to be the first thing that's mentioned. A cause of death is pending a toxicology report, which could take weeks. No drugs or alcohol found in Perry's system when paramedics arrived at his home. Game three of the World Series tonight in Phoenix. The Fall Classic knotted up at a game apiece. The Arizona Diamondbacks send rookie pitcher Brandon Fought to the mound to face Matt Scherzer of the Texas Rangers, who says this is what every kid dreams about. You watch your idols do this in, uh, in, in all the big games uh, and to be able to live out your dreams. So for me, uh, this, you know, for my third World Series, this is crazy to say it's my third World Series, but here I have such another opportunity uh, to live out my dream. The D-backs seeking their first title since 2001. The Texas Rangers have never won the World Series. Still to come on the Noon Report for a Monday, hate on campus at Cornell. The hunt is on in Pennsylvania and Game of Drones reigning in the reach of these aerial devices. Hi, this is Kevin Williams. Some November-like weather is upon us. I'll have forecast details coming up. We'll see you in about 10 minutes. All right, see you then. Thank you, Kevin. Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, is working with the FBI today after a series of threats were made against the school's Jewish population. And those threats targeted the school's center of Jewish living on campus, and they prompted the kosher dining hall to close its doors. One particularly disturbing threat reads, quote, if you see a Jewish person on campus, follow them home and slit their throats. Rats need to be eliminated from from Cornell. Now, Cornell's president, Martha Polak, immediately condemned such posts, writing, quote, threats of violence are absolutely intolerable, and we will work to ensure that the person or people who posted them are punished to the full extent of the law. Now, she says university police reported this incident to the FBI as a potential hate crime. Correspondent Brooke Singman, a trial date's been set for the man accused of attacking Satanic Versus author Salman Rushdie. The case against Hadi Matar will start January 8th in western New York and Rushdie will be called to testify. The author was preparing to give a speech at the Chautauqua Institution in Mayville when he was brutally stabbed over a dozen times in the neck, stomach, eye, and chest. Matar became a jihadist following a trip to the Middle East. Rushdie's had a bounty on his head ever since publishing the Satanic Verses in 1988. Some Muslims consider it blasphemous because of its depiction of the prophet Muhammad. Pennsylvania politicians pushing for red flag laws that would allow law enforcement to apprehend weapons from anyone deemed to be a threat to themselves or others. Adam Garber is with Ceasefire PA. Every day that goes by unfortunately means we're risking a horrific mass shooting. Garber says red flag laws could have prevented the massacre in Maine last week. Pennsylvania Republicans, however, call the effort to reduce gun violence a violation of the Second Amendment. It is an insult, an insult to the founding of our Commonwealth and its principles. PA lawmakers will debate the proposed red flag law today in Harrisburg. A New York state lawmaker wants to put the kibosh on drone use over schools and other sensitive sites. I knew a little bit about it because my son had a drone. There are some restrictions on this, clearly not enough. Democratic Assemblywoman Patricia Fahey says unmanned aerial devices like drones should not be allowed to hover over schools or 
other critical infrastructure. Right now, there are no restrictions when you're under 400 feet. Over 400 feet, that is regulated by the FAA. Local municipalities can adopt their own drone use regulations, but there is no statewide ban under 400 feet. Jody Monroe, superintendent of the Bethlehem School District in the Capital Region, she's concerned about drone use violating student privacy rights. The use of drones in aerial photography without authorization is an invasion of that privacy. If signed into law, this legislation will give schools a level of protection that does not currently exist. Albany County Sheriff Craig Apple. We need to do a better job at regulating these drones. They're everywhere. We need to protect our infrastructure, especially our most valuable and vulnerable infrastructure, our kids. A drone was spotted recently flying over an elementary school there in the Albany, New York area. The impact of foreign-owned farms and farmland is a growing concern in Pennsylvania. U.S. Senator John Fetterman calls it a national security issue as well as a food security issue. Congressman Glenn G.T. Thompson says foreign ownership of U.S. farmland has nearly doubled the past decade. Pennsylvania does have a law that limits foreign governments from acquiring more than 100 acres of farmland. Headed to the drugstore today, you may run into some trouble if you are. Here's reporter Matt Piper. More Walgreens walkouts. Some pharmacy staff will once again walk-off jobs today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. They claim unsafe working conditions and a strain to vaccinate people. It follows walkouts three weeks ago. There are 9,000 Walgreens stores across the country, but these stoppages are said to affect hundreds of stores. Matt Piper reporting the Food and Drug Administration is warning consumers to stop using 26 over-the-counter eye drops due to the risk of eye infection. They're sold at stores like CVS, Target, and Rite Aid. The eye infections can cause partial vision loss or even worse, blindness. And today's the first day of Pennsylvania's beloved elk hunting season. Here's Family Life's Brian Query. Residents of Pennsylvania who have secured an elk license now have the chance to take advantage of the opportunity. General elk season opens today and continues through Saturday, November 4th. According to the Pennsylvania Game Commission, 144 elk hunting licenses have been allotted for this season, split up between archery in September, general, and late season, which begins December 30th. The Game Commission says that last year, hunters harvested a total of 131 elk across all three seasons. Brian Query, Family Life News. All right, Brian, thank you very much. Your Monday Midday Sports is next right here on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, we begin in East Rutherford with the two New York City teams, and the Jets now have bragging rights after Greg Zerline nailed a field goal in overtime to give the Jets a 13-10 win over the Giants. The Philadelphia Eagles came from behind to down the Washington Commanders 38-31. Jalen Hurts, a big game for Philly, going 29-38 of 38 for 319 yards and four touchdowns. 
The Eagles now 7-1 on the season. The Jags have won five in a row after marching into Pittsburgh and handing the Steelers a 20-10 loss. Jacksonville's defense, three sacks and two INTs to stifle Pittsburgh's offense. On the ice, the Sabres scored once in the first, twice in the second, and once in the third and gave up nothing. The Buffalo shut out the Avalanche for Zip. Paterka, Middlestad, Yost, and Dolan all lit the lamp in the wind. The Devils, Capitals, and Oilers also picked up victories. On the hardwood, Joel Embiid made the home opener a memorable one for Philadelphia. He finished with 35 points, 15 boards, 7 assists, and 6 block shots. All in only three quarters of action as the 76ers dominated Portland 126-98. Other winners in the NBA, the Kings, Clippers, Hawks, Warriors, and Nuggets. And in NASCAR, the final four is set for the playoffs. Ryan Blaney took the checkered flag at Martinsville to claim his spot. And William Byron earned the final spot after finishing 13th. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report, ground game in Gaza, Maine in mourning, and auto strike over with. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Every year around this time, the ritual begins anew. The weather cools off, the leaves change color, Christians start arguing about Halloween. Look, many people love this night. It gives them an excuse to host parties, to kick off the holiday spending season, and to provide economic stimulus for the dental industry. Others use it as an excuse to flirt with things much darker than plastic skeletons and creative jack-o'-lanterns. What is the real history behind Halloween? Is there something spiritual behind all the ghoulishness? Back when I was a kid, there was a series of comic book-style tracks that went around claiming that Halloween was a pagan holiday called Samhain when ancient Druids used to carry out human sacrifices under a full moon. Well, that story, as even modern pagans who love Halloween admit, is mostly made up. The very name Halloween means Holy Evening. It was a throwback to when Catholic Christians prepare for the Feast of All Saints on November the 1st. And a few years ago, Kirk Cameron urged Christians to make the most of Halloween's Christian origins, to throw the biggest Halloween party on the block. Not only is it a great way to make fun of the devil, he argued. It offers Christians a wonderful opportunity to proclaim Jesus' victory over sin and death to their neighbors. Well, our Christian forebears might have agreed with this advice. In his book, For the Glory of God, historian Rodney Stark argued that Christians in the early centuries of the church frequently reacted to pagan practices like fortune-telling, alchemy, or sorcery by not taking those things seriously. Augustine, for example, myth-busted astrology by pointing out how twins born under the same star sign were often very different in personality. St. Boniface taught that to believe in witches is unchristian. Pope Gregory the Great even advised a missionary to Britain to destroy the idols, but to repurpose the pagan temples for Christian worship. Well, a few years ago, Stephen Wedgworth offered a helpful perspective in an article at the Calvinist International. After providing a helpful overview of the history of Halloween, he concluded that though there are echoes of paganism and Christian repurposing in Halloween, The holiday of today, like the costumes and trick-or-treating, is a recent invention. Kind of like the commercialized secular Christmas we all know today, Halloween has more to do with department stores than druids. No matter what day it is, Paul's instructions in Philippians 4 should guide our celebrations. Christians should think on whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. Acts murderer get-ups and sexually provocative costumes.
costumes probably fail that test. And we should consider his teaching on meat sacrifice to idols. Idol worship is always wrong, but eating meat sacrificed to idols is a matter of conscience. And if you're unable to participate in Halloween with a clear conscience, there's plenty of other things to celebrate this time of year. Reformation Day, All Saints Day, the beauty of falls changing colors, as always, the sovereignty of God and the victory of Christ over everything. And if kids will be knocking at your door on Halloween night, you can always put on a wool tunic and nail 95 Reese's peanut butter cups to your door. If you and your kids do enjoy a little spooky stuff, just remember, as Paul Pastor wrote over at Christianity Today, that monsters should point us to God. No story worth listening to lacks a villain, and no villain worth fighting lacks monstrosity. No story has more monstrous villains or darker darkness than Scripture. We do have an enemy, an enemy of our souls. And at the same time, Scripture describes evil as not just out there, but also in our own hearts. And yet, evil does not have the final say, not in the world and not in our own hearts. Yes, evil is a real foe, but because of Jesus Christ, evil is a defeated foe. So, Christian, fear not. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. All right, John, thank you very much. Let's take it outside next, Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast through the afternoon. It'll stay rather cloudy with showers scattered and chilly. Temperatures holding nearly steady at uh, the 40s for most. Now, for tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday, just part Partly cloudy in central and eastern Pennsylvania with chance of a rain shower flurry on Wednesday. But elsewhere, lots of clouds and a few scattered showers of rain and wet snow. And overnight tonight, there could be a little thin coat on the grass over the higher elevations of the western Twin Tiers. Low tonight, 30. High temperatures generally upper 30s to the middle 40s tomorrow and Wednesday. All right, Kevin, thank you. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Lots going on Monday, the 30th of October. GM and the United Auto Workers Union have reached a deal to end their seven-week-old strike. That means all three of Detroit's big three have now given in to the UAW demand. GM is the last of Detroit's big three automakers to reach a deal after the UAW reached an agreement with Stellantis over the weekend and with Ford earlier last week. The new deals include boosts in wages and benefits and allows the right to strike over any plant closures. The new agreements must be ratified by members at each of the three automakers. Michael Kastner reporting the ground offensive in Gaza has intensified as Israeli troops look to eradicate Hamas in the Palestinian-controlled territory. Vice President Harris says there are no plans to send U.S. troops into combat roles, even though Americans are among the 239 hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza. Florida governor and 2024 presidential contender Ron DeSantis says there's only one side to take in this war. Hamas terrorists worship death. Don't tell me that there's a moral equivalence here uh, between Israel and Hamas terrorists. There are not. Meantime, acts of anti-Semitism continue here in the States and overseas. In southern Russia, a mob of Muslims stormed an airport looking for Jews on a flight from Israel. Russian affairs expert Beth Noble. I've been covering Russia for over 30 years, and honestly, I can't remember ever seeing anything quite like these pictures of people overrunning the airport in the capital of Dagestan. The local officials just let the crowd of hundreds who were drummed up through social media run rampant through the airport building and its custom zones and onto the tarmac. Closer to home, more acts of anti-Semitism reared their ugly head at Cornell University over the 
weekend. A series of online threats were made against the Ivy League school's Jewish community on Sunday. The Cornell Daily Sun reporting they included threats to shoot Jewish students at their kosher dining hall in the Center for Jewish Living. Cornell President Martha Pollack called the messages horrendous and says the FBI has been notified. She said the threats were posted on a website not affiliated with the Ithaca University. This comes just days after anti-Israel graffiti appeared on several campus sidewalks. Cornell's placed a history professor on administrative leave after he called the Hamas terrorist attack of October 7th, quote, exhilarating and energizing, end quote. Now to Maine, where more than a thousand people gathered last night for a memorial service in Lewiston. The community held a vigil to honor the 18 people killed at a bowling alley and a bar, among them Kayla Maria's uncle, Steve Vozella. Tonight was so beautiful, like everyone was there. It's just like, it felt like love there. The gunman was found dead after a massive two-day search. Deborah Rodriguez reporting a sheriff in Maine says he alerted authorities last month about 40-year-old Robert Card after he threatened violence at an Army Reserve facility in Maine. Card killed himself in the back of a tractor trailer at a recycling facility about 10 miles from where the worst mass shootings in this country this year happened last Wednesday. And if you're planning to pick up a prescription today, your pharmacist may not be there. That's because thousands of Walgreens, CVS, and Rite Aid employees are off the job. They're calling the three-day work stoppage Farmageddon over what they say are unsafe working conditions that put both employees employees and patients at risk. You're plugged into the Noon Report, a Monday edition on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Issues in Education. Mondays during the Noon Report, we spotlight the issues impacting our schools with Dr. Ralph Kerr at the Teaching and Learning Institute. And Ralph, we find you at the New York State School Board's conference today. That's in Buffalo, New York, held every year. In a sentence or two, Ralph, tell us what this gathering's all about. Well, there are over 1,500 school board members and superintendents and other interested people at the convention, and there's several common themes in terms of the workshops. One that I went to was about teacher shortages. I didn't see that they had any real answers to that, and maybe there aren't any. And school safety is a big issue. Uh, interesting presentation on electric buses, which you and I have talked about in the past, and then budgeting processes, that kind of thing. Yeah. Lots of exhibitors. Good for me to see some old friends from days when I was active as a superintendent. Good time was had by all, including me. That's awesome. Uh, and you mentioned one of those issues, school safety. Uh, kids behaving badly is a huge topic. I saw recently a 15-year-old female student arrested for assaulting her teacher in Buffalo. We can't go a day without seeing something where teachers and students and staff just don't feel safe at school. What's to blame for these behavioral problems? I know it's probably a more complicated topic than we have 
time for today, Ralph? Well, it is a tragedy that this is happening. Unfortunately, it's part of our society today. And put very succinctly, I think it's just a general disrespect that young people have for authority, whether it's teachers or police or maybe even their own parents. I feel badly for teachers who are trying to teach, and some of them are spending the majority of their day really dealing with behavioral issues. Yeah. We've got to do something about it, and I hope it starts soon. Yeah, and I hope it starts in the home soon because it's uh, right. mom and dad have to set the example, which leads me to this. Uh, I thought this was really interesting. A representative in Pennsylvania named Frank Burns wants to hold parents responsible if their children are involved in school bullying, if they're the perpetrators of school bullying. His bill could force parents to pay a fine and perform community service, also mandates parenting classes on bullying. Ralph, is that the right way to go in dealing with this problem? It's certainly a creative way to attempt to deal with it, but I don't believe it's one that would have success. I sure hope the bill wouldn't pass in Pennsylvania or anywhere else for that matter. Parents do need to take responsibility for their students' behavior, but I don't think this is a way to go about it at all. Yeah, that could really cause some problems, I imagine, in the Keystone State. Well, back to New York, and it's almost Election Day, Ralph. I know you're counting down the days, and one of the two proposed constitutional amendments that everyone gets to decide on this year has to do with borrowing limits for school districts in small cities. Explain, if you would, this referendum, Ralph, and whether or not you think it's a good idea. Yeah, this is a really important issue, and I do encourage people to vote yes for this constitutional amendment. There are 55 school districts in the state that are classified as uh, small city districts, and right now, small cities are limited to 5% borrowing of all of their combined property value. Any other school district in the state can deal with up to 10% borrowing against their property values. So over the years, this has really put small cities in a real hole instead of doing one large project they have to do several small projects and all that does is add cost because every year as you know cost of everything is going up so again i encourage people to vote yes on this constitutional amendment even though you may not live in a small city but it certainly will help your friends and neighbors who do live in small cities throughout the state gotcha thanks for that counsel ralph and before we go we'd be remiss not to bring up that holiday that people celebrate tomorrow <laughs> it's a yearly i won't say it but you know what i'm talking about it's a yearly uh, debate that a lot of I Christian parents, you got it. He's picking up what I'm laying down, folks. Uh, it's a debate that a lot of Christians deal with every year. I know I, I asked my son the other day, I said, do, do they still do these costume parties in school? And he said, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been in elementary school. But what's your counsel to parents who are in that boat today? Well, you know, this normally happens at the elementary school and kids do dress up in some communities. You know, they parade around the community. They play games. I talked to some teachers just within the last week about this, and, and their general take is, hey, this is a case of kids having some fun. One of the teachers said to me, well, you know, I had a Jehovah's Witness last year, and the parents just opted to keep him home. Yeah. So I guess that that might be uh, one solution would be if, if you don't like it and your school district is involved in a Halloween parade, then that might be an occasion to just uh, have your child stay home. But I don't think we should be prohibiting other children from having fun. 
Hmm. Uh, certainly there are some costumes that we may not like, but a lot of the costumes are really fun and kids really get into it. Yep. So I think there's good counsel can be had there. Yes, and we love what you have to say every week, Ralph. Uh, I always like to say major in the majors and minor in the minors. And uh, you, you have wonderful advice on all these topics. If you want to learn more about that constitutional amendment on Election Day in New York, what's it all about? Ralph, you have a wonderful website where folks can go and learn more. What is that? Thank you, Bob. It's been great to be with you again. Uh, simply, our website is whyrun.org, whyrun.org. Thank you very much, Dr. Kerr. The name of the program, Issues in Education, comes your way Mondays during the Noon Report or online anytime, familylife.org. Just look for the News tab on the podcast page. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast with a week off to a cold, dark, damp start. The steady rain will be departing where it has not yet done so, but chilly air continues to move into the region. The result, lake effect showers of rain and wet snowflakes expected across parts of the region over the next couple days and nights. So for the remainder of the day today through the afternoon, the steadier rain moving east of Interstate 81, but it'll stay rather cloudy with showers scattered and chilly. Temperatures holding nearly steady at uh, the 40s for most. Now for tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday, just partly cloudy in central and eastern Pennsylvania with chance of a rain shower flurry on Wednesday, but elsewhere, lots of clouds. And a few scattered showers of rain and wet snow. And overnight tonight, there could be a little thin coat on the grass over the higher elevations of the western twin tiers. Low tonight, 30. High temperatures generally upper 30s to the middle 40s tomorrow and Wednesday. All right, thank you, Kevin. Finally, at noon today, today's the day we celebrate that popular tri-colored pyramid-shaped candy that was once called chicken feed. It goes by a different name today. Here's reporter Bree Tennis. It was created in 1898 in America and morphed over the years into what we now know as candy corn. And Americans love it, eating 35 million pounds of it every year. Year. Alwaysatreat.com says 51% of us eat them whole. That's the right way. 31% eat the tip, and 18% start at the bottom and work their way up. I'm Bree Tennis, NBC News Radio. Thank you, Bree. There's no wrong way to eat a candy corn, or is that right way? I forget. Pass me the chocolate instead. That's the world we live in, folks. Monday, October 30th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.